In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. It's been an amazing day yesterday, the Browns win, and now we're going to be talking defence, defence, defence. I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian Wright, right, right. Oh, it's, it, it's good. Um, I, I, I feel I have another sleep on it. Still in a good spot. Um, I like what the Browns are doing. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Hey, football's back, baby. JV football, baby. Woo! Uh, yeah, I had to go back and watch. I, to be fair, it's, obviously, it's kind of easier to take some takeaways from the offense in first watch. Second watch, you can maybe go back, see a little bit more of the defense just to see what's going on. So... That's something we'll kind of break down today. I know, unfortunately, I think, Paul, we only have you for a short amount of time. Uh, you're continuing the vlogosphere of, you know, baked bean media. So uh, overall, Paul, before you head off, do you want to give us just a high level impression, first take on what you thought of the defense? Yeah, my thoughts of the defense was, do you know what? I was sleeping. I saw the highlights. I'll let you guys go into detail. <laughs> Paul, people tune in from all across the globe to get that type of insight. And don't you forget it. All right, Paul, we wish you well. Enjoy. Thank you for the intro. Just so you guys haven't, uh, will notice Paul was very much appalled by Jack and I's intros last year. So he's doing everything and anything he possibly can to get us to do less and less intros. So on that note, Jack, the defense, our first time seeing Jim Schwartz, Lining them up wide nine, no Miles Garrett, no really anybody you'd ever heard of. We got D linemen across the board. We got linebackers, your favorite. Let's start up front, Jack. Overall, what'd you think of this remade defensive line? Uh, I think it was hard to really gauge, if I'm honest. I definitely feel like we need another defensive tackle because uh, I want no part of Jordan Elliott starting. But uh, here we he are. He didn't play that much. Hey, Tommy Toki, I did swat down a pass. Whoops. The pride of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Listen, we knew that these D tackles were going to be a little interesting. I will say, I did like at least first game out there going up against grown men. I thought Siaka Ika, Siaki Ika, I thought he at least showed himself. You know, we kind of probably said the same thing about Danny Shelton a few years ago, but at the end of the day, his job, he made one nice little run stuff in there that I thought was good. Um, conditioning looked like it was wearing on him a little bit. Um, I think they cut his snaps to like 20 or so, uh, just going back now. And, you know, the PFF grades came out yesterday. So that was good. We were able to see a little bit more of a breakdown on positions and stuff like that. They mainly lined him up in the B gap, according to PFF, which I thought was a little interesting. I wasn't sure if they would maybe do a little bit of that, you know, stagnated Timothy Jern again type of stunt with Schwartz. Schwartz went with your traditional four, three, I think he was wide, you know, leaving guys outside of the tackle, kind of, sort of, sometimes, mainly Sam Kamara. But for the most part, D tackles were lining up in the B gaps. So Togi, Ika, Elliott, 
What'd you think of Mo Hurst? Anything out of there you saw that you were, people told me he was going to be great. What'd you see? Yeah, from Mohurst, I saw Shelby Harris is needed in Cleveland. <laughs> it, it was not a good day. Um, to be fair, Tommy Togiai looked the best out of the bunch. The fact that Sam Kamara was our pressure leader was something that I would never have predicted going into that game. Um, but no, I thought it was one where they definitely need another body. Eka was fine, but Eka, you're never going to get pressure that often off of him. Um, in all likelihood, unless maybe there's a really nice line. Hey, if it's Miles Garrett, Tomlinson and Smith, then there is a chance that Ika might get some pressure then because they're double teaming and dealing with everyone else and he runs through a gap. Um, but no, I think it's one that more is needed. Um, and it, even though it is just a backups versus backups game, if mm-hmm. they can't dominate against the backups, how am I going to expect them to beat up starting offensive lineman in the NFL. Yeah. And I think we knew the depth on the D, uh, D line, the depth on the edge position was going to be weak. I actually did think they did. And I think this was probably a little bit more linebacker scheme front seven. I thought they did a pretty good job controlling the jets running game. I mean, I think the jets only rushed for like 53 yards total. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, the one long one was on the, uh, the touchdown was like the longest run of the game. <laughs> So I thought they did a pretty good job of at least staying disciplined. Some of the linebackers obviously were able to make up for some of the issues that the D linemen had. Um, but for the most part, this, the quarterback had the one run, but that Israel, Abanacata, three yards of carry, die 1.3 yards of carry, uh, Demario Crockett, 1.8 yards of carry with a fumble. So I thought overall, as a whole collective unit, they were fine. I think they were actually, I would say, probably pretty good at just controlling the Jets' run game. In saying all that, I didn't see any players specifically kind of jump off the page. I, I, I'm not gonna lie; I was expecting maybe Alex Wright to do a little bit more. He really didn't do much um, from that edge position. Like you said, Sam Kamara was the leading guy in terms of the the pressure. Wright was the obviously the only one that we've ever seen out there. Him and Isaiah Thomas, who I guess Isaiah Thomas actually had one decent play where he came inside, made a nice stop on a running play. But some of these undrafted free agents, the Lonnie Phelps, you know, the Jeremiah Martins, I think they were just guys out there. Um, Isaiah McGuire, I think, had a little bit of a I think he was getting moved around quite a bit. Um, so it was good to see him out there. Didn't see a ton out of him um at the end of the day, but it's it's the Hall of Fame game. They won. The Jets didn't score in the second half. Of course, they were obviously, I think, giving them the win. Yeah, I, th- I thought the run game was, the run defense was solid. Um, it was nothing that I, I looked at that and went, that needs fixing. But hey, I, I always look at the the pass defense first. And uh, as long as the run defense is serviceable, I'm okay. It was better than serviceable. But mm-hmm. even an elite run defense does not fix a bad pass rush so yep. get the pass rush for uh, right and then we'll deal with the run um whereas who, who knows it could be something they're working on more and that has been a big focus of hey guys let's sort out the run defense in training camp because this involves more teamwork and things like that whereas pass defense can be more get your ears behind yeah and just go um and if you're just instructing four or five dudes to run at a quarterback you, i don't think it's as requires as much training teaching and things like that so um it wouldn't surprise me if we see the the running 
uh, the pass improve, and it's very much just constantly working on the run at the moment. Yeah. And listen, we, we didn't see, you were mentioning about the secondary. We didn't see many of the guys will skip linebackers from now. We'll jump to the outside has obviously passed defense is important. And I think the, I think it was good to see Cameron Mitchell out there. I thought he made a pretty good showing of himself. You know, he did have the one pass breakup, which I thought was nice. Um, overall, he didn't look completely out of position. I know Greg Newsom's obviously been well connected with him and I, Aside from everything that's going on in Northwestern in the offseason, they usually put out some pretty heady guys. So it sounded like he did a pretty good job getting in his playbook, doing a decent job in coverage. Um, I'm not going to lie. I had not heard much about Caleb Biggers going into this game, and he made a couple plays. I, I don't know what the future holds for that kid. I don't. I don't know if they're maybe seeing that he could be a potential practice squad type of guy, but I thought in the, I mean, he played 32 snaps. He had the most snaps of all the cornerbacks. I thought he did pretty well. Graham is going to be your inside slot. We kind of knew at that AJ green was going to be AJ green. I mean, we kind of knew that he's fighting for that. He's like the highest ranked of that group, you know, and I think that's why I think he played like 20 snaps, but overall, I thought the secondary wasn't too bad, especially in the corner. We can talk a little bit about the safeties, but I didn't see any glaring blown coverages or miscommunications. I thought they came up, did a decent job when they needed to and run support. I can't bitch too much about it, honestly. I'd say the one thing with Thomas Graham, obviously he got absolutely destroyed on one pass. Um, I had felt really confident in saying, hey, he's cornerback seven. He's leading the practice squad group. That might be something just to keep an eye on. Um, yeah. We're only talking about who the practice squad corners and DBs are but just something just to be aware of that if some of these other guys, you mentioned Biggers, um, look quite good. And if Bubba then try and maybe see something, he might go, right, guys, you step up. Because in all honesty, if you're keeping six corners on the roster, it's more what they do on special teams than what they do on defense of why they're going to make it onto the practice squad. Because if you call someone up as, say, someone's out for a game and you elevate another fauna, they're going to play specials. They're not out there to play corner unless, hey, you get three guys injured during a game, in which case, sod it. It's bad luck. Just give up. Yeah, at that point there, you're you're throwing out the, this play sheet anyways and you're just running off of instinct. But yeah, overall, um, I'll be curious to see. Now we're going to go in, you know, we're not going up against Zach, you know, Zach Wilson and Chris Strebler and Tim Boyle. You know, we're obviously coming up now into at least a little bit of a decent passing offense with the Eagles and the Chiefs. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how these kind of bottom of the roster corners start holding up. Um, obviously, the Jets didn't really throw too many named wide receivers out there. Not gonna lie, not heard of many of them. Uh, but in the safeties, what do you think of the safeties? Was our first time seeing, you know, the Ohio State safety corner duo of Tanner McAllister and Ronnie Hickman? Um, what do you think? Uh, in the Hickman versus Bell, I didn't really see much either way, if I'm honest. Um, is one that I probably need to, I don't know if they release all 22 of the uh, Hall of Fame game, but you don't really get a great feel with the way they do the cameras these days. Give me Madden Cam. That's what I want. That should be the, it should be the default for watching NFL games because it would be so much better quality. Um, I, I did see, and I had to laugh. So Ronnie Hickman was wearing 33, which is just kind of funny that Ronnie Harrison and Ronnie Hickman 
So when I saw there was a play where Hickman just completely whiffed on a tackle, I was like, was that Ronnie Harrison or Ronnie Harrison? I, I, I had to do a second think right there, <laughs> seeing the number and seeing the missed tackle. It seems that number 33 is a, uh, is a uh, synonymous with missed tackles, but there was one guy that stuck out a little bit. Now, obviously he had the interception, which I think boosted his PFF grade. So I know when the Browns Twitter sphere start posting top Twitter or top PFF grades, this guy's going to be up there. Bubba Bolden, who was obviously familiar with our safety coach at Miami. Do you think that was maybe just a product of him understanding the system playing for that coach before? Yeah, I, I don't think he's in the hunt for safety four. Yeah, I could see the route potentially if Bell doesn't make it and another team tries and makes a move and picks him up on their roster and we're then looking at other directions for special teams. So Bubba Bolden, there's a shot to him to land on the practice squad. Um, mm-hmm. Because, hey, if Hickman and uh, Bella are maybe the Vikings, perfect example of team they probably think in similar ways, might go, hey, we'll pick him up and give him a go as our fourth, fifth safety. And then you end up with guys like Bubba Bolden because life's going to change this offseason. It's Usually if someone doesn't make the roster, no one else wants them from the Browns and we just sign who we want to the practice squad. Very different world now. Guys will get stolen and uh, you just got to put up with it. Yeah, I think Bolden, if he wants to stick, he's going to have to do it on specials, right? So I think there's, if you're going to be that safety, you're going to have to be the guy that goes out there and dominates on specials. You're going to have to be the guy that, you know, proves that you belong in this league almost similar to your boy, Tavier Thomas, right? This was a guy who just continuing out there and said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to continue to get better on uh, defense whenever you need me, if we go down the depth chart, but at the end of the day, you can always count on me on specials. So I think Bolden needs to focus mainly on contributing on specials, doing what he's supposed to do there. Um, and I think that'll help him in terms of roster. There was a guy and maybe I'm just confused. Charlie Thomas. So Charlie Thomas, obviously he had the quote unquote hit of the night. Jack, have you looked at how big that guy is? No. Click on his like size weight thing. 216. According to How the hell is he a linebacker? He's my size. Welcome to the modern NFL. I'm like, I don't know if he was playing that JOK role, but I'm like, that guy for the for the entire game, I was thinking he's a safety. I thought they had him playing like that big nickel star type of safety role. And I'm listening to it after the game. And then Zagura was talking about Charlie Thomas, the linebacker. And I'm like, this can't be the same guy because that guy looks like a safety. I saw him on specials a few times. Then I saw him on defense. I assumed he was a safety. And then I come to find out he's actually a linebacker. So Craig who knows? We're really just well blur- specials. He did. Well, he, no, he had a couple. He had a couple where he made nice tackles on the, uh, the kickoffs. But ultimately I'm like, are we just playing 210 pound linebackers now, or can we just start blending safeties and linebackers? I mean, I get the roles and I understand defensive coverages. So for all the people out there explaining to me with a big nickel or stars, I know what it is. It's okay. But it was just odd to me seeing a 210 pound quote unquote linebacker. Just saying. So damn it. I'm calling Charlie Thomas a linebacker or a safety kids say no to drugs and say no to linebackers on the field. 
Give me all the safeties, baby. <laughs> By the way, I love that the entire conversation that Jack had four years ago about running backs was like the entire point of this offseason. Austin Eckler, we're having a Zoom call. Jack's like, well, were you four years ago when he said this was happening? Yeah, they're, they're uh, a bit late to the pie. But um, yeah. I, Fields played really well is another one. Um, I, yeah. I you'd, you'd hope so, right? Because he, he's a guy that's a veteran. This is a guy that needs to be on specials. So there's an interesting battle potentially there with, I think Charlie Thomas is one that maybe they can get to the practice squad and he can sit there and be one that they potentially call up because that's something else to keep in mind. Just because someone doesn't make the 53 doesn't mean that come the first four weeks of the season, that a guy that's actually landed on the practice squad might actually have more active game days than somebody else. So they might look at an eker and go, oh, you're not quite ready yet. But what we'll do, we put Maurice Hurst on the practice squad. We called him up for the first four weeks and he's actually starting, not starting, playing. Eker's a game day inactive, just why he gets ready and steps up. So just because someone's on the practice squad doesn't mean they're not playing and someone that is on the 53 is playing. So, uh, no, I think Charlie Thomas, great route there. Kunasic, uh, Tony Fields. And, and they solidified. Um, Would you say that Kunasic and team. Fields, above Ventron? Um, oh no, who's the um linebacker special teamer? Uh, Matt Adams, Matt Adams, Adams, Adams. Matt Adams. He's I think you're, yeah, I think Kunazic Fields, Adams, I think you know, Taki Taki Walker, uh, JOK. I mean, those are probably gonna be your six linebackers, I would guess. It the, didn't the sound guys, like there's much behind him. I mean, Dia, 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 you know, Diabate, the un, uh, undrafted free agent, these are guys that are just obviously gonna fight for any practice squad spots. I didn't see much out of him. Um, but overall. Fields, Kunazic, those are the guys I think did their role. But in saying that, one of the things I think the Browns defense did really well was on, we talked about it, the run the run game, run, rush defense. A lot of that was your linebackers. I thought a lot of times you could see there was big guys up front that were eating up blockers in those, you know, those guard center gaps, which allowed Kunazic to make a play, which allowed Fields to make a play. I mean – it, it was interesting to see, you know, in, even a couple of times that Sam Kamara would shed and be able to get over. So overall, I thought that the Browns defense looked stout in the front and it was good to see these athletic linebackers, fake safeties like Charlie Thomas being able to move around, make plays, make tackles. I didn't see a ton of missed tackles. There was a couple, I, like I said, the Ronnie Hickman one stands out only because of the Ronnie Harrison. Um, thing but overall i don't recall too many other like bad ones right because sometimes in preseason jack there is some olays i know d'anthony bell came flying in on one um almost missed it did get the guy down but yeah i didn't see any major missed tackles i thought technically you know technically sound the defense looked pretty decent yeah the credited missed tackles are maguire diabate and fields um the difference between fields and kunasic and adams who are chasing those sort of fourth, fifth, and sixth linebacker spots is Fields has no guarantees. So they've made of half a million commitments. Kunisic, they've made, I think it's 300,000 to Adams. So those guys I feel really good about. But yeah, any which way with Fields. And I, I think Paul's not on the podcast, so I'm allowed to say this now. I don't think a UDFA from this class makes the roster. And I, I don't think that's... Do you think any of them make the practice squad? Yeah, I, th I think several of them make the practice squad. But how many are on the practice squad now? Sixteen. Is it, it used to be seventeen? They go on sixteen now. Yeah. I, okay. So 
I don't think that's unexpected because the bar is so high. In the past, we wouldn't have been signing Kunisic, Adams, Ford, and that's why these spots are open. But they've gone and invested in sort of five special teamers. That then wipes out a lot of these spots that the UDFAs would compete for. So I, I don't think that's a surprise. And, hey, good luck to them. Um, but, hey, we're, the more successful a team you are, the less likely UDFA makes the roster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they went out and got the uh, the Falcons guy as well, right? Yeah, Ford. Mike Ford. Mike Ford. Yeah, they went out and got him. So that's you're talking UDFA corners. That's kind of his role. Um, all right. So overall, who do you give your game ball on defense? I'm gonna go Fields. I think. Yeah, I think that's. I ha- I haven't eaten in one of his restaurants lately, but I think I'm gonna go with Cam Mitchell. Cameron Mitchell. I thought overall for being, you know, a rookie first game, get him in there. Thought he did all right. So not a ton of action on the, on the Browns defensive side. I thought that second half though, they, they were able to control the game pretty good. So now we're going to move on to my favorite position group, not Paul's favorite and not Brown's Twitter's favorite. So we're going to start off with the punters. Cause we actually saw two of them. We saw the Bojo bomb and uh, Joe not going to make the roster Charlton. So, Jack, the look on your face. Why, Why do you have two punters? even on the roster? I have <laughs> no clue. Jack, I would not be shocked by the time this podcast release. He may not be. Just to give you an idea, both had two punts. One guy had 124 yards of net yards. The other guy had 97. So there was a 27-yard difference between Boriquez and Charlton. I think they know what they have with Bojo. They don't want him out there and Listen, the guy has a like. His issue was holding. They're just going to give Charlton, you know, I kind of jokingly want to call him Taco Charlton, even though that's guy from uh, the he Michigan. Signed he just signed. He just signed recently on Tuesday. It was a joke. It was Taco Tuesday. <laughs> but overall, the punter battle, I think we know who it is. It's going to be the Bojo Bomber. Now, the guy who kicks the ball off the ground, some may call them the place kickers. Tade. York. So I, I have a, a bookmark tweet. Jack, that's why you draft a kicker. That is exactly the bookmark tweet. So when the Browns tweeted out, that's why you draft a kicker after, I forget which game he made the kick. Was it the Ravens? Carolina. Or I think it was Carolina. It was week one, the I, walk-off winner. That's it. Bookmark that straight away because I thought, any time he fucks up, I'm going and retweeting that. And it's been retweeted several times. The crazy part is, is, and, and listen, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work both sides of the argument here, your honor. I'm going to be the prosecution and I'm going to be the defense. The prosecution is it's fucking preseason. They're not even rushing the kicker. Take a half an extra step. If you need to, the guys aren't trying. They're just standing there going, I'm going to put my hand up. Look, I'm working really hard coach. So anybody talking to me about field goal block, it's not happening. So just Cade, take your time. It's like a nice, easy wedge. He hit a cutter. The ball stayed tight for a little while. And, then he... and I, the worst was they showed the ball tailing and they showed the sticks with the flags and the flags were dead. They weren't moving a inch. And that ball just went. Then on his first extra point, he hit another cutter. And he just got it inside the bar. I was like, oh, son of a bitch. He's going to miss this damn thing. And I saw both put their arms up. And I'm like, 
I hope that's not reviewable. On so, the second and third ones, he he definitely started, you can tell, him putting a little right to left on the ball. So I don't know if it's mental. I don't, At this point, it has to be. I know he can kick a ball. I know he can kick a ball very far. To do that, basically, the kicker breakdown, which I know you all turned in, tuned in just to this spot. You're probably going to bookmark this spot. Jack, when you're kicking a soccer ball and you know when you want to lift the ball, you have to bend back, right? If you're trying to stay over the ball, you see the C, so to say. What happens is when your right hip does not get through the ball, if you're a golfer, think about a slice, right? You're not getting through the ball. When you leave it open, it's going to kick a tail, right? That's the idea. If you want to kick a hook, you pull your body through and it'll draw the ball in. So it's 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 a fundamental thing for him. I think it's mental. He's got to get this ironed out. He has to. It's preseason. Nobody gives a shit. I had my money line bet win. Thankfully, I was really worried. It was going to end 16-14 because he missed his damn kick and I was going to send him a bill. But regardless, he's got to get it fixed. So I get why you chase it because the natural talent and the power is not something. You don't find that on the street. In college, his accuracy was insane too. But people have said, and I've actually in the corner of not doing anything, they've said, hey, do we now go out post-game and add a kicker? The reason why I'm against that is because if we're going to bring in a kicker to have a competition, the quality of kicker we're going to sign, where we're not guaranteeing any substantial money, isn't going to be very good. So that guy's probably not going to be out on KDL. There's probably some kickers out there that we can go out in free agency and get but then we're going to have to guarantee 250,000 half a mil. And it's like, well, if you're doing that, it's not a competition. You've signed the replacement already. So I think you just bite your lip and you roll with it all the way through training camp. If we're sat at the end of the preseason games and he's still missing half his kicks or there's still serious concerns, then that might be the point where another team cuts their guy or something like that. And you go, right, we'll make a move now. Or you just bring someone onto the practice squad and go, look, Kate, you screw up once more, you're done. But there is now's not the time to panic. And it, it, not even just to panic, now's not the time to make a move. The competition, you would add, is not justifiable. You may as well just allow him to the process, get through training camp. And if at the end of training camp, the end of these three preseason games, real preseason games, um, he's struggling. Right, look at the options. Yeah, he he just, he has to get it. It's psychological to me because it, there's nothing wrong with his form. His his height is good. His drive is good. It, it's just one of those things where you bring in another kicker, you're not, you're not going to help the situation. You're not going to make, it's not like one of those ones where you're like, I'm going to bring in another guy and make my guy better. It, it's weird because a lot of people think that kickers are wimps already. Everybody not named me was pretty much in that category. I'm the exception, clearly. But it's one of those things where this guy has to figure it out on his own, right? He's got a yip. I don't know. I mean, we looked at what happened with, you know, um, the kid from Auburn, Daniel Carlson. It just didn't work out all that well in his first season. They cut him. Now he's one of the better kickers in the league. It can happen, you know. I would almost subscribe to the theory is, is you let a guy, maybe you bring guys in, in the future, you know, after Cade York has left, you bring guys in who have already kind of gone through their yip period. But I think ultimately he's got to get it down to where he has the confidence knowing, I mean, you saw Zerline. Zerline walked out there, knew that nobody was rushing. It was warm ups for him. Pop, 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 pop. 
no problem whatsoever. 54, no problem. There's no pressure. There should be no pressure for him in that game. He kicked at LSU in the swamp against Florida for 100,000 people. You know, the Hall of Fame game at, you know, Fawcett Stadium is nothing for him. He has to just go out there and just stick to the fundamentals. Instead of going out to sign a, a, a veteran or something like that, they need to get somebody in there that's a veteran. I'm not kidding you. I saw a lot of people joking to sign Phil Dawson. I agree. Sign him as a coach. Bring him in as a kicking coach to help him understand like, hey, you have the talent. You have to maximize this talent. I don't want Phil Dawson kicking, but I would love him maybe in like a six-week role as a consultant. Just come in and say, hey, man, because listen, no offense to Bubba Ventrone. Bubba Ventrone's not a kicker, right? So he can tell him, hey, go make your kicks. But ultimately, he has to understand the breakdown, the kinesiology of what's happening with his body. Why is he kicking a cutter? Why is he kicking a hook? You know, what's going on there? You know, golfers have it all the time. They have swing coaches. I, I'm sure he has one, but that's who he needs to work with. He needs to work with his kicking coach and he needs to just get it out of his head because right now it's mental. But he's got a great kickoff. I'll give him that. Yep. No, I, I think that's it to add. By the way, Jack fell asleep, guys, through all that. So he just popped back up. He's like, oh, we're, Ian's done talking. I was, I was just sorting out some OBR content. So uh, multitasking. Speaking of the OBR, got any good content coming out? Um, sort of dropped. If you listen to this, my sort of stock up, stock down, they're a bit more meaty. Um, next week, I'm going to have an updated draft board coming out with the guardrails because each month drop a new one. Um, and hey, last week did a uh, 53 man roster projection. Not much has changed. Six spots, all to play for. There it is. Well, we have. Seven more days, six more days, five more days. I'm trying to think. Let's see. The uh, The next game is on the 11th. Today is the 5th. So, yeah, we got about six days left before we get to see him against the Redskins. I'm, I'm sorry, the Commanders. Um, That one will be at Cleveland Brown Stadium. So, be good. Back home, so to say. Obviously, Canton's not home. But uh, Browns Commanders on the on the 11th, then they finish the preseason with the Eagles and Chiefs on the road. So it'll be good for them to kind of get in the routine of going to the road. Because look look no further, Jack. We're a little over four weeks from taking on the Bengals in First Energy Stadium. Will Joe Burrow play? Ask his calf. We don't know. So in saying that, Jack, you got anything you want to add to the defense? No, I think it's one that it'll be more fun during the preseason because David Carr was on NFL Network talking before the game and he said, look, I've played Schwartz defences in the past in preseason. He's giving nothing away. Now, you, it's going to be absolute bland, um, but come week one, expect it to rain. Well, I think you're just going to dial up the pressure, right? It's yeah. a lot easier when you have Zadarius Smith, Miles Garrett, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson coming at you as opposed to uh, uh, Jimmy Bufootslick and the Three Stooges. So, yeah, no, I agree. All right. In saying that, everybody, enjoy your weekend. Um, hopefully your Saturday is kicking off well. Paul's definitely is. He's probably on a trolley right now, slamming back some uh, old-fashioned graphics cough medicine. In saying that, go Browns. Go Browns.